is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. So I was online this week looking at uh, lists of famous role models, and this was on Ranker, and um, it lists the people that you most want to meet, the top 20 people that you most want to meet. And then nothing on this list really surprised me. It was people you would expect, Abraham Lincoln, Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, Michelangelo, Mark Twain, Martin Luther King Jr., Leonardo da Vinci, Anne Frank, Beethoven, Ben Franklin. So no surprises, right? Really? Um, but then right before William Shakespeare was a name that just jumped out at me, the name Steve Irwin. Do you remember him? The crocodile hunter came in at number 16 on the list of people we most want to meet. Just didn't even see that coming. I don't know who you would like to meet, but the name that was at the top of the list was no surprise. I've seen this many times whenever I've done this little research project. Who is the person that people most want to meet? You want to guess? Jesus. He's always at the top. People want to meet him. And this is the reason why we're having this series right now. We're talking about meeting Jesus, what it meant for us to meet him, and we're looking at stories of other people who met him. And when people meet Jesus, here's what we know. Unexpected stuff happens. So with that in mind, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. The story we're going to look at today is at Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. You already got a little tip off about who the story is about from the children's message, but we'll read it together from this passage. Mark 5, starting with verse 1. Before we read it together, I offer this prayer, the Lord be with you. Mark 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, He would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, let us go into them. Jesus gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs, And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but he said this, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the demon-possessed man and the life he had before he met Jesus. We're going to look at how he met Jesus, and then we're going to look at what happened after he met Jesus. So before he met Jesus, I think I could summarize it this way, his life was in total ruin. And this guy was in a bad state. Some of us are familiar with Ephesians 6. It's one of the passages we've been memorizing. Um, And there's a verse in there that says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against principalities and powers and forces of evil from dark places who are at work in this world. This man knew firsthand this battle. He was possessed by many demons. Dark forces had stolen his life away. He lived in the caves that once served as tombs. He wandered around naked. One of the other gospel accounts makes it clear he was completely naked. He beat himself with stones to try to like end his torment. He lived in a state of total ruin. Now the people in the villages nearby had seen this man for quite some time and they were afraid of him too, so they had tried to subdue him. And they had done that with chains, wrapping him with chains. And he was so strong that the chains would not protect the people from his lunacy. Mark's testimony makes his condition absolutely clear. He had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself. This man's life was a total ruin. Now maybe you're sitting here and you can't relate. Uh, Maybe you can Maybe your life has been in total ruin at various times. But if you can't relate to the total ruin, you can maybe relate to the feeling of helplessness. If you've ever been tormented by darkness, anxiety, addiction, hardship, pain, and you felt like there was no way out, nothing can be done about this, I'm trapped The life I wanted has been stolen from me. If you can relate to any of that, then you can relate to this man's feeling. His life was in in torment. He was living through this dark moment, and that's the way his life was until he met Jesus. And then meeting Jesus, we get this interesting question, which Jesus often asks to people who are in difficult situations. He asks them, what do you want? And this was the same questions the demons asked Jesus. Jesus, what do you want? So there's this little like tension immediately in the story. 
When this man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. He's, a, he's afraid. He's been tormented by others. Is Jesus going to add to that? But Jesus makes his intentions very clear. He says, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus has come to rescue him. He's come to liberate him, to set him free, to release him from this. The demons don't want this. As I'm reading this encounter, I'm reading that this interaction initially is between Jesus and the demons, not the man. The demons are asking, what do you want? The demons are nervous. They know Jesus wants to free this man, and that's not what they want. So they get into this defensive stance. They don't want to lose the life they've stolen. They bow before Jesus. They invoke the name of Jesus. They claim that Jesus has no right to do anything over it. He has no power. He has no authority over the situation. The demons are trying to get Jesus to, to not rescue the man. They beg Jesus not to torment them. As the conversation continues, Jesus asks their name. And I think, again, it's not a conversation with the man, it's a conversation with the demon. Asking the name would give Jesus power over the demon, even more power than he already had. And the demons know that. So they give this evasive answer. They say, we are legion, which is just a technical way to say we're many. We find out later that the, the pig herd was about 2,000 people. Could it have been as many as 2,000 demons inside this one man? Can you imagine the torment? Recognizing their dire situation, the demons begged Jesus not to destroy them. For some reason, they think that getting cast into the pigs is a better idea. Maybe it's the best of a bunch of bad options. So they say, don't, don't destroy us, don't send us to the pit, don't do these other things you could do. Instead, just send us over to these Pigs And so Jesus does. He sends him into the pigs, and apparently this spooks the pigs. And so the pigs run off the cliff into the lake, and they drown. The demons end up destroyed anyway, and the man is set free. Jesus is a liberator. The pigs are gone. The demons are gone. The once lunatic man, the man who was tormented, who could not be contained by chains, is now sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus. This is, how, this is what happened when the, the man met Jesus. This miracle demonstrates the power and authority that Jesus had in this man's life. Now for Mark, this is a big deal. In fact, most of Mark's gospel is written so that he can make the point that Jesus has power and authority. We see this over and over again throughout Mark's gospel. He actually dedicates more of his gospel to the testimony about the miracles of Jesus than any of the other gospel writers. Stories like in Mark 1 where Jesus casts out the unclean spirit, another unclean spirit. Jesus has authority over the forces of evil. Then in the chapter, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, demonstrating that he's got power over sickness. In the next chapter, Jesus heals the paralyzed man and then forgives him, re revealing that he's got power to forgive, authority to forgive sins. 
In the next chapter, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand to show that he has power over this sickness, and he does it on the Sabbath to show that he has power over the Sabbath. Jesus calmed the storm, showing power over nature. He raised Jairus' daughter. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He gave sight to the blind. He restored hearing to the deaf, and he made it possible for the mute to speak. Jesus has power and authority. Because of this power and authority, people flocked to Jesus. They were amazed by this. Like, whoa, we, we, wouldn't you like to be part of something like that? I want to see that kind of power. I want to see it unleashed. Can you imagine the pig herders going to town and saying, hey, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And that town probably emptied to go see this man with this power and authority. But then they get out there and this starts to sink in. What are the implications of a person who has so much power and so much authority. What does that mean for us? And some were amazed at this power, and some, frankly, were horrified by it. It's scary. Some followed Jesus. Some fled. Some worshipped him. Some condemned him. Some loved him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and other people hated him. Some believed, and they were liberated, and some did not believe, and they remained trapped. So we see in this story really two traits of Jesus, I think. One is that Jesus is a liberator. He does want to come and set people free, but he's also this disruptor. He comes and he turns things upside down. He does the unexpected, and not always in a way that we like. Everyone who met Jesus had a very strong reaction to him. Everyone who met him loved him or hated him. There was no neutral with Jesus. That much disruptive power and authority, it's too much to ignore. Now, some people didn't know what to do about this power. They were undone, and I think the pigs were a, an example of how disruptive this is. So the pig handlers uh, watched their livelihood dive into the lake and drowned, and they were furious about it. You just destroyed my life, the life I had, the life I loved, the life I wanted. You took power and control over something. I didn't want to change. When the community realized the same thing, they were filled with fear. And we see the community's final reaction at the end of this encounter is they're begging Jesus to leave the area. They don't want to be there. I think it's sinking in on them. I don't know that we want to deal with that much disruptive power either. I don't know that we want that much authority. Now, this reaction is not uncommon. The woman uh, earlier in Mark with the issue of blood who was healed by Jesus when he touched his cape in the crowd... When Jesus turned on her, she was afraid. She recognized the power and authority that Jesus had over her. The disciples who were in the boat, scared about the storm, witnessed Jesus calm the storm, and then their reaction after he calmed it was, they were afraid of Jesus. If you read the story of the raising of Jairus' daughter, everyone who watched that was afraid. Why? Because they're recognizing Jesus, the disruptor, has power and authority over these things. So if he has power over those things, that means he's got power over us, too. 
coming face to face with this much power, face to face with absolute authority, face to face with the one who is in control, face to face with the one who can do anything, that exposes us. This is a big deal. Jesus has authority and power over you and over me. I feel unnerved, just saying it. And the unnerved person has two choices at this point. The first choice is you can bow down and worship Jesus, surrender to his power, trust him, and follow. Second choice, run away, flee. The man who was freed from the evil spirits after he met Jesus, he chose the surrender. He bowed down. He worshiped Jesus. In fact, as we heard in the children's message, he really wanted to follow Jesus. Can I come along? Can I get in the boat with you and your disciples? I want to stick close. I mean, do you blame him for that reaction? I mean, he had this life in total ruin and now he's been rescued. And who wouldn't want to stick around that and stay there? But Jesus gives him a very specific charge. This is kind of like the charter or the calling for all disciples. He says, no, your call is to do two things. First, go home to your own people. And second, tell them what the Lord has done for you. That's it. Go home and tell your own people what the Lord has done for you. This is our calling too. And everyone knows someone in darkness. It starts in our own neighborhoods. Maybe even it starts in our own homes. I have a, a neighbor who stopped me on a walk earlier this week, and uh, this is a neighbor that, it's not this neighbor over here. It's another neighbor um, down at the end of Orchard Drive, and she stopped me and she said, do you know what's going on with Kevin, which is another one of our neighbors? And I said, no, I, don't, I didn't know. And she goes, well, he's, um, he's got cancer and he's scared. And he just started treatment. And this is a neighbor I've never talked about with spiritual things before. We've had lots of conversations, lots of dog walking, chit-chat and all that. Um, but she says to me, I know you're a good person and I know you'll pray for him. I don't know how she figured that out. Um, I said, yeah, I will. And then she said, can you talk to him? And I go, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk to him. So I talked to him this week. And um, I've never had a spiritual conversation with this neighbor. But I said to him, how are you doing? I heard about this diagnosis. And he explained what was going on. And I said, I'll pray for you. And you know what he said? Thank you. I can use that. Now, I don't know a whole lot about his situation yet. This is this the beginning of a story. But this is the same calling that de the demoniac had. Well, go first to the people on Orchard Drive. Go to your own people. Start with your neighbors, start with your friends, start with your coworkers, start with your family members. Part one and then part two. Tell them about the Lord. Tell them what the Lord has done. That's, that's, that's the whole charge.
Tell them what the Lord has done. Sometimes I think we make this overly complicated. Um, But this is the essence of testimony, isn't it? We say, um, there's darkness, and I know there's darkness in the world because I know there's darkness in my own life. You know, I was sinking deep in sin once too, far from the shore, and the hand of the master reached down and pulled me up out of the waves and does every day. So that's a testimony about darkness. It's my story. So you tell your story, and then you tell them about Jesus, and you tell them how Jesus wants to confront the powers of darkness, and he has the power and the authority to do something about it, and then you let God work. This is the first step in bringing the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. God uses us for this mission. So that leads me to some next steps for everyone to consider. And the first one is this. Well, maybe you need to discover the power and authority of Jesus for yourself. Is there something in your life, something you don't want him to have control over? Something you don't want to surrender? Something you don't want to let go of? Discover that he has power over it already. Surrender to him. Bow down to him. Confess to him. Confess your sin. Confess the darkness. Admit you need help. Discover the power and authority of Jesus. And then, after you do that, you discover the mercy and compassion of Jesus. You discover that Jesus isn't here to condemn us. He doesn't want to squash us like a bug. He wants to rescue us. He wants to liberate us. He wants to set us free because he's a God of compassion and mercy. That's the God we know. And then, go tell your people about Jesus. Share your testimony of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus, you know, is the one person people most want to meet And they could meet him because you tell them what Jesus has done for you. I don't know if I've ever confessed this to you all before, but I'm often stumped when I write a message about how to, they call it the landing, how to bring it down at the very end. And I want to do the best possible thing I can do Uh, And it doesn't always hit me on the day I'm writing this, so I sometimes have to wait. Sometimes it doesn't hit me until late on Saturday night exactly what I'm supposed to say. And so this hit me last night because I had a, I called my friend, I have a, uh, Mary and I have a good friend who left me a message and said, hey, call us, we have a story we want to tell you about our daughter. And uh, Mary and I have been praying for this daughter for many months. She's been in a state of depression and anxiety so serious that she, she hasn't taken a shower or brushed her teeth for two weeks. That's how dark her life is right now. She feels completely unable to respond and carry on life. And she's got a little boy she's trying to take care of. She's a single mom. She's got a job. She's trying to maintain all this stuff. And she's so depressed she can barely function. So uh, we called and said, what's the story about your daughter? And they said, well, some friend invited her through Facebook to come to a service that was focused on depression and anxiety. And I'm not sure this friend even knew that she was in such a bad way. And this uh, 
friend of ours decided she would go. And she was in such a bad way, she went and she sat in the very back row. This might be a warning for you who are sitting in the back row that God has <laughs> got his target. She's sitting in the back row of this thing, kind of with a bad attitude, and the person who gets up to start speaking, and she gives this testimony about how God rescues people from depression and anxiety. And after this person has talked for just a couple of minutes, our friend is in the back bawling, and then pretty soon the speaker's bawling, and, she, and then our friend says, she was speaking right to me. The reason this service was having, the reason this message was given, was because this woman needed to talk to me about my depression. And at the conclusion of it, they had a little prayer time and she got up from the back and she walked to the front and she got prayed for. And there was actually two people praying for her. One person was praying, this woman, about her depression and her anxiety and getting freedom from that. And the other person who was next to her was praying that the demonic forces that were attacking her would let her go. And she went home that night and she called her parents and you know what she said? I'm going to take a shower. I've, I'm free. Now this story is just beginning too, so we don't know exactly all that's going to happen here, but we do know this. Jesus has power and authority to set us free. And he did it for the demoniac, and he still does it today. Dear Lord God, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and for the truth of these words. We ask that you'll continue the good work that you've started, and we will be careful to give you praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.